Good morning again. We're going to be in Psalm 34 this morning, so if you do have a Bible or an app, um, make your way there. Yeah, so this morning I, I wanted to be in Psalm 34, and probably the reason for that being that it has been a great comfort to me in the last month or so, this psalm. It's a, it's a beautiful psalm, and it's an encouraging psalm. Uh, it's a psalm, as I have written above, about a man who is praising God even when he has a broken heart. And I think that's just what makes it so powerful. It is, it is not removed from the context of life, yet it is not a psalm of self-pity, but a psalm of praising God. And I think that is just what sets it apart, or doesn't set it apart, it sort of makes it so special anyway. But why don't we read it together? Today I want to focus, or at least use as a, as a sort of starting point, verse 18. But let's just read the psalm together. In Psalm 34, verse 1, David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor, this poor man cried, that self-reference, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days, that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Let's pray as we come before the Lord this morning. Lord, we thank you that we come before you this morning knowing that you are neither naive to the reality of the lives that you've called us to live nor removed from them. You understand the difficulties of life, the challenges, the troubles, the fears, and you are with us as we walk through them. 
Lord, it's such a powerful encouragement for us to know that this is true. Lord, sometimes it's the hardest thing to believe. And so, Lord, this morning we just ask that you would minister to us, that you would encourage us, that you would remind us of your goodness and your glory and your ability to both heal and to save those who call on your name. I do pray, Lord, for those who are here who are especially in a season of heartbrokenness today, that you would minister to them by your spirit and bring comfort. I pray, Lord, for those who are in a season of heartbrokenness and who don't know you, that you would minister the gospel to them and that you would help them to cling to the gospel that we have heard and we know to be true and would in that, Lord, enjoy the comfort that is only theirs in Christ. I pray for us today that we would see your glory and savour it. In Jesus' name, amen. In this psalm, Psalm 34, David, using this artistic, poetic form, is telling us a story. He's telling us the story of how God entered into his broken life and dealt with his broken heart. He's sharing with us the story of how God met him in his season of brokenness, how God drew him through the season of brokenness, and how God saved him from the season of brokenness. And that is why Psalm 34 is such a powerful and encouraging psalm for those who are presently brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. Why it is such an encouraging psalm for those who are feeling exposed, who feel like their sin is on display for all to see, for those who are feeling defeated, like they have tried and tried and tried, but are feeling deflated and defeated, like life is getting on top of them. It's an encouraging psalm for the hurting, for the people who have been humbled, their pride and stubbornness has been checked by the Lord. It is an encouraging psalm for the suffering and for those who are filled with sorrow. The reason Psalm 34 is so beautiful is because it reminds us in a very concrete way that we have much to praise God for, even when our hearts are utterly broken, either by sin or by sorrow or by a situation that is beyond our control. Psalm 34, 18 especially, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now, if this is Psalm 34, if this is the story of Psalm 34, if this is the message of Psalm 34, it's worth asking why David is in this position where he would confess that he is brokenhearted. And that's why I wanted to read 1 Samuel 21.10 through 22.2, because this provides the backstory for the psalm. If you go up to the top of the psalm, you'll see a little description of why this psalm was written. And this is the backstory behind it. In 1 Samuel 21.10, the writer details the story for us of David's encounter with the king of Gath. 
Achish, or his dynastic name Abimelech. The reason David encountered this man is because he was running away from King Saul, who was a powerful man, but a very unstable man, a man who was determined to put him to death. This shows us why David in the first place would end up in this place, a place of immense vulnerability, a place of immense fragility, alone before the king who is his enemy, as a a man who has a reputation for being a deadly warrior and a king of sorts. If you like, David has jumped from the pot into the pan. He's running from one dangerous king and has ended up in a position where he is before another dangerous king. In that situation, he is alone and he is afraid and he is evidently in danger. In that moment, David has a decision to make. What will I do to escape this situation that I am in? What we see is he decides to preserve his life to feign an insane disposition, the tactic that eventually saves him. If we pick it up in verse 13 of that text, it said, He changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. It's a, it's a position of, of utter humility, isn't it? Pretending to be this way before a king, an enemy king or an, an alternate king. Then Akish said to his servants, Akish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen? that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Of course, the answer is no. And David eventually, we have recorded for us, departed from there and escaped to the cave of Agilim. It's little wonder in this situation that David would go on in the psalm to describe himself as heartbroken and crushed. He had experienced, if you like, the epitome or the crippling conflation of what verse 4 and 6 describe as his fears and troubles. He is experiencing, he is enduring through the very thing he would have done anything within his power to avoid. And he is utterly powerless to change it. He is utterly powerless to get himself out of it. Can you imagine, put yourself for a moment in his shoes and ask yourself, how would you have felt in that situation, fleeing from King Saul, standing before another king, pretending to be insane to preserve your life? Can you imagine the degradation for a start? Can you imagine the shame? Can you imagine the desperation, the fear, the uncertainty, the utter lack of control. What are your greatest fears and how would you feel if you were exposed to them in a situation that was utterly outside of your control? Have you been in a similar situation to David when you have been exposed to those things which you fear the most? 
and we're unable to change the situation. We're unable to control the situation. Have you been in a situation where you've had to face those things you fear most, where troubles feel like they're tracking you like a shadow, where you feel exposed, ashamed, and degraded, where you are in a situation that David would describe as heartbroken and crushed in spirit? The reality is that it happens. There are seasons and times in our lives when it happens. It happens even to God's servants, and it's horrible. It leaves you with that feeling of unshakable dullness, the unspeakable shame, the unrelenting tears, the unheroic fears. It happens, and it happened to David, and this was the backstory to Psalm 34. This was the position that he's in as he writes this psalm. And with that in mind, I think it's worth asking the question then, how could David possibly start a psalm with this is the backstory that says, I will bless the Lord at all times. How could he possibly do that? How could he possibly open up a psalm that said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Wouldn't you expect a psalm like this written in that sort of context to be some sort of lament? Wouldn't you expect in this sort of situation where he has been exposed to everything he feared most and everything that troubled him the most for him to be telling the story of an abandoned faith? of a deconstructed faith, of a dismantled faith, the faith that we can read about a thousand times online for those who have suffered? Why can David start his psalm by saying, I will bless the Lord at all times? And why in that, and how in that, could he possibly welcome us into that praise by saying, let the humble hear and be glad. I magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. It seems to me, at least, from a surface level, that these two things would be mutually exclusive. It seems that it would be impossible to write those words in that situation. How could David possibly lead off on a psalm like this when that was the situation? The answer we get comes in verse 15 through 22, and I think is summarized in verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. David is well aware of the Lord's ways of working. He knows that, that the Lord may providentially allow brokenheartedness in our life for us to be in the position where we are crushed in spirit. He knows that the Lord will do this as he refines us of our sin, exposes us to our sin, refines us using sorrow, using situations to test the strength of our faith. But the one thing David knows is that in that situation, God is not distant. He meets us there, he draws us through, and he saves us from those seasons of brokenheartedness. 
the reason David can praise the Lord, if we look firstly at verse 18, is because he is near to the brokenhearted. In this situation with David, you might expect that he would use friends or circumstances or physical blessings to relieve the pain of his brokenheartedness, as he often does. And he even shows his providential hand in the way that he worked in the king of Gath. But here David is speaking of something different. He's not speaking about the nearness of friends who were providentially provided for. He's not talking about circumstances which were providentially provided for. He is speaking about the nearness of God himself. He's saying the reason I could praise God even in that situation is because God himself was near. This, as we well know, is a nearness that can often only be experienced when you are utterly alone, as David was. When he was alone, though, David knew that the Lord, as we see in verse 15, not only saw and heard, and in verse 18, was able to respond to by, being, by committing to be close relationally to draw near. The Lord is near to those who are brokenhearted. It was really interesting um, this week, again, in, in our house, and this time for a sweet reason. Um, Boaz hurt himself this week, which is not unusual, but it was really interesting observing this scene playing itself out in our house because Boaz was over on the couch crying, as he does. And I was watching this scene, but I was, I was standing behind Ari, who was standing about here, and I was watching Ari. He saw Boaz crying, and you could see him. You know, he saw and he heard. And the little, uh, you know, the little baby empathetic instinct that he has in his heart, the one thing that he did as he saw this unfolding was to move towards Boaz. And in a really sweet way, just give him a cuddle. A sweet closeness from someone who can sense the pain and is committed to draw near. Now I know that's human and it's simplistic and it's simple, but that gives us a picture of what David is seeing from the Lord. He hears and he sees, and he does not remain distant, but he commits to drawing near. That is why David can start a psalm saying, praise the Lord, bless the Lord, even in a season of brokenheartedness, because the Lord himself has committed personally to be close and to comfort and to help. The second reason we see in verse 18 that David can praise the Lord even in this situation is because the Lord saves those who are crushed in spirit. In Psalm 147, one of the beautiful things that we see in this psalm is the is the juxtaposition, if you like, between a God who is creator and mighty and abundant in power and a God who can be close to people and who draws near to heal them, not just to acknowledge their brokenheartedness, but to heal their brokenheartedness. If you look in verse 4, you see this is the Lord that determines the number of the stars. Universal, macro-level stuff. He's saying God placed them in place and named them, knows them, determined them. But in verse 3, we see 
as a contrast to this, if you like, the fact that he heals the brokenhearted. He is with the brokenhearted. He is close. He is healing. And he binds up their wounds. The Lord truly is the great healer of the brokenhearted. He is not only there sympathizing, seeing, and healing. He is the one who saves us from these things. We've seen this all through the Old Testament of the Lord himself. And especially as we draw into the New Testament, we see this reality on display in Christ, who came fulfilling Isaiah 61.1, for the man who would bind up the brokenhearted, He came as the man who would ultimately deal with us and deal with the things that trouble us by dealing with sin. But we see also the one who comes and who heals and helps those who are experiencing sorrows and afflictions. It is in Christ that we see so tangibly the heart of the Lord who is committed to save those who are experiencing brokenheartedness, who are crushed in spirit, something of course we experience today in part, but look forward to the fulfillment of when the Lord will wipe away every tear from our eye. Why does David want to make this clear for us? Verse 19 reminds us why. He says, many of many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. What he's highlighting here is the fact that the Lord has not promised to preserve either those who refuse to submit to his lordship or those who have submitted to his lordship from afflictions. Life is hard for both. But what the psalmist David wants to highlight for us is the Lord has promised to treat his people differently during these seasons of affliction. For those who reject him and dismiss him and despise him, verse 16 and 21 make it clear that you have an enemy in God. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil and affliction will slay the wicked. It will overcome you both today and for all eternity. But for those who delight in him, submit to him, love him, and trust him. We see in verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Not only is he the protective hedge, he is the one who delivers from. Verse 17, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. Verse 18, the Lord saves the crushed in spirit. This is what sets God apart from the counselor the colleague, the close friend, and even the kin, those who can be near but cannot save. He is both close to us and delivers us from that which truly breaks our heart and that which crushes our spirit. David testifies of the truth of this experientially in the psalm. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. 
See, David knew that he had had to use his wisdom and his thinking, and he had had to make decisions on the fly. But ultimately, he knew that in that situation where he stood before the king, helpless, hopeless, degraded, and ashamed, that it was the Lord who would deliver him from that. And he knew that in crying out to him, he was leaning on a God who was committed to comfort and to deliver. He saved him out of all his troubles. And at the end of this, in Second Samuel 22, we see the beginning of the rebuilding of David's life when men are gathered round him and it begins a new chapter for David, this was true for him, not only theoretically and experientially, and I'm sure the same is true for many of us in our own lives. This morning, as we think about this psalm, think about this reality, I just want to finish with a couple of questions. Three in total, I think. Well, I don't think I know, because I wrote this, but <coughs> hopefully not many more. I want to finish with two questions related to this psalm. The first of those is for those of you who are in a relationship with God. And I want to ask you this question, which I think is a question that provokes my thought and makes me think about the way that I have dealt with seasons where I have been heartbroken and crushed in spirit. And the question is simply this. Are you looking to God in your brokenness? You may well have been humbled by sin. You may well have been humbled by sorrow. You may well have been humbled by a situation in your life that is outside of your control. But I just want to ask you the question, are you looking to God in your brokenness? There are so many synthetic saviors out there that you can look to for immediate and, and incomplete comfort in your sorrow and in your sin. You can, you can watch things, you can eat things, you can do things, you can do whatever you want to make the feeling go away for a moment. But the question I have for you in that situation, are you looking to God in your brokenness? Are you looking to God in your brokenness and asking yourself, as I'm sure David had to, what am I able to praise God for? during this season of utter brokenness because it will transform the way you do pain. It will transform the way you think about pain. It will enable you, even in the darkest of times, to have a sweetness of humble fellowship with the Lord. Are you looking to God in your brokenness? I love Psalm 34, 5, because he says, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. The beautiful thing about that verse is it applied to David even as he sat under the, under the rule or the domination of that other king. There is a joyfulness, a radiance in the face that looks to the Lord even in situations where 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 the worldly situation you're finding yourself in is utter brokenness? Are you acknowledging God in your brokenness and in that experiencing something of that true joy 
that can only be found in him. The second question is this, for those of you who are in a relationship with God, the first question was related to looking up. The second question is related to looking out. Are you looking out in your season of brokenness? The amazing thing about this psalm again is that here we see David welcoming others to worship the Lord even as he experienced utter brokenness on himself. The question that I have for you is, what is the Lord providing for you to do even as you experience that brokenness that is spoken about in that psalm? Where is he using you to welcome others to worship the Lord? How is he inviting you to sing the song of praise when your heart is broken? Who is he using you to welcome others, or how is he using you to welcome others to the wisdom of trusting in and leaning on the Lord who comforts and who saves? The question that I have, the third question, is for those who haven't yet committed to a relationship with God, and that is this. Is your present brokenness drawing you towards God? You know, many of us, or some of us, I assume, will be here as people who don't know God, but have drawn out of a context into this place, and you will be feeling utterly broken and utterly burdened. And I just want to ask the question, you know, have you ever thought that it would be a providential opportunity that you would be here today hearing about brokenness and thinking about committing to the Lord even in brokenness? Is your present brokenness drawing you towards God in verse 8, the psalmist says, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. What he's saying is, I have tested and I have found that, that, that a relationship with God holds up even in the most difficult times and can provide a relief that nothing else can. And he's inviting us to taste and see that the Lord is good and that it is a blessing to take refuge in him. I just would invite you to consider Christ this morning, who himself was broken, who himself was humbled, as he made a way for us to be right with God. Isaiah 53.3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all a God, a saviour, Christ himself, who understands brokenness, stepped into brokenness and used it as a way of redeeming us, of repairing that relationship, of dealing with sin, us being those who have, like sheep gone astray, turned away from that blessed relationship and rejected and dismissed him. We're going to sing a song later and after the Lord's Supper, and it asks this question, 
Are you hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? And I just ask you this morning to consider those questions for yourself because the response comes. Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Is Jesus calling to you today in the context of your utter brokenness? Because as you have heard so consistently today, it is often in those seasons when the Lord reaches in and changes our heart and draws us to himself. Praise the Lord for that. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful that you minister to us even in our brokenness. Use it for your glory. Encourage us and save us. We're so thankful, Lord, that you're not cold and distant. You haven't wound up this world and are not watching it from a distance, but you are close. You are here. The one who created is also the one who comforts the brokenhearted. Lord, I just pray that you would encourage us and lead us to the point where we too can say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, for I have discovered this, this Lord who is a comforter and a help in my time of need. Lord, we invite you with fear and trembling to minister in our hearts that which will do the greatest good for us in the long term. And we trust as we invite you and plead for you to work that you may well call us to walk through difficult seasons in life. But what we crave the most, Lord, is humility and a purity to our affection for you. So, Lord, do what it takes for us to to be able to say, I bless the Lord, I praise the Lord at all times and in any situation. Lord, use us as a testimony of your grace and power and comfort. We pray these things in his name. Amen.